Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 127th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. This month's focus is all about giving and sharing. Giving is one of the five ways to well-being, developed by the New Economics Foundation in 2009. Giving is the act of freely parting with something and offering it to someone or something beyond ourselves. That could be a stranger, friend, family member, charitable organization, local community, wider community, etc. It might mean parting with material things like gifts, objects, money, or immaterial things, which can often be much more powerful. Time, skills, knowledge, enthusiasm, passion, kindness, sharing our story. And in practice, giving looks different for different people, and it could mean different things. It could be supporting a friend to talk about a problem or challenge they're having. It could be official volunteering for a cause that's important to you, or simply making an effort to give someone your time and attention. And as social creatures, we benefit enormously from engaging with other people on a meaningful level. And a number of studies have shown that giving has an inbuilt effect on our moods and evidence from neuroscience suggests that it activates the reward area of our brain. And if you listen to my episode on how love helps our mental health, I talk a lot more about that. So it means that we experience good feelings when we give to others. And what's more, giving can be quite contagious. And once you start doing it, you want to keep doing it. And when we give to others, what we often find is there's a boomerang effect and people act more kindly towards us. I'm not saying that should be the sole motivation, but this does promote happiness and improve our well-being. And giving doesn't just provide benefits to our relationship. It provides us with immediate psychological boost to our mood, and it can help us gain a healthier perspective about the world around us. And sharing our story with others really helps other people and takes our thoughts away from our own concerns to see the bigger picture. So this week's episode, we're going to be talking about sharing your story. And to join me in talking about this in more detail is Shari Foos. And Shari has developed the narrative method. It's an award-winning approach to building meaningful human connections by helping individuals reframe how they see themselves and others through the process of sharing stories and therefore giving. The narrative method programs and products are designed to peel away participants' negative or false beliefs imposed by cultural and social influences to help them build their understanding of themselves and the world. Shari is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she holds a Master's of Arts in Clinical Psychology from Antioch University in Los Angeles, and she's got a Master of Science in Narrative Medicine from Columbia University. She's a sought-after expert on the subjects of relationships and meaningful connection, and Shari's writing and commentary have appeared in a range of online and print publications, including Real Simple, Huffington Post, Thrive, Shauna Land, Women's Health, and Bustle. So we're delighted to have her with us today. Shari, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. We are delighted to have you. This month is all about giving and sharing. So I think this is absolutely perfect, this topic. And, and I've read out your bio, Shari, and a little bit about what you do, but I'm wondering if you would like to share with listeners in your own words, a little bit more about the narrative method and how you developed this and got into this line of work. Well, thank you so much. So. Like everyone, it's a circuitous route. And even when you think you know what you want to do, we have no idea what what we're going to encounter or what our initial inspiration will really lead us to. So I came from an abused 
childhood. And that, of course, colors everything that you think about yourself, feel about yourself, and the way that you perceive others. So it's a long journey to unwind this. And I think everyone has this challenge to separate ourselves from the things that have happened to us so that we can see in our own estimation who we really are and how can we manifest our purpose in the world. So um, through the course of my life, the one thing that helped me so much was uh, going to psychotherapy. And I was really depressed when I was in high school. And uh, I wound up in a free group therapy. And it was there that I realized that here are these people who I had never seen before, but they were as introspective as I was about the same kinds of questions. And suddenly I belonged. And because of that experience, it has really colored everything I've done in my life in terms of really trying to develop the power of a healthy group, because a healthy group is sort of a stand-in for a healthy a healthy family. And although we're, we're all really taught how to put ourselves forward and how to present ourselves to individuals, the idea of being who we really are in a group situation is less familiar and really lacking in our experience so that what happens is we wind up having a lot of feelings of mistrust uh, towards strangers simply because of the strangeness and that is just such an unfortunately primitive perspective so i am trying to promote the human connection movement through sharing stories and in doing that, we bring the world a little bit closer together in these alienated times. Well, thank you, Shari. That's really beautiful. Yes, in these alienated times. And so what does sharing your story mean to you? And you said a little bit about creating that connection and bringing people together. But what does it really mean to you? And how does it benefit mental health and well-being in your eyes? I think at this point, because I've been fortunate to work through so much, and I don't think that it is a job that ever ends or something that we can ever completely do, but that's okay. We have our memories and they can uh, reinforce our, our goals. But I would say what my story means to me now is a tool to share with other people, to show them my example as a way to underscoring what I'm saying that you can get beyond these things. I think that in my experience in different kinds of therapy throughout my life, you know, there was an old idea in the last century that the therapist uh, should, should just sort of get out of the way so that a patient could be the focus without any sullying of any other person's psyche. Well, we now know that's ridiculous. But we also know, and I have seen myself so many times, that whether it's in therapy or your boss or a mentor or someone you look up to, when that person shares their humanity and their weaknesses and foibles with you, you feel normal. You feel like you belong. But if it's someone from a high telling you, you should do this or don't do that, you may take in the words and you may value them as good advice, but it's not as easy to get past your own insecurity. We all need to know that everyone is a victim of what we call the cult of culture, which is the constant onslaught of negative messages from the media, social media, advertising, institutions, and 
all of those things that have served to teach us how we are defective, how we don't measure up. And what I think is really imperative is for us to share those experiences and the shame that we feel because we suddenly realize, wait a minute, if you feel the way that I feel and we have nothing in common and we've never met before, it can't be me. It has to be coming externally. So the social factors impact our personal psychology, but should not be be conflated with an idea that we are defective. We're responding in very logical ways to a crazy culture. Yeah, absolutely. And that whole thing around, are we being social as a society being gaslit by certain perceptions in the media, which I think you kind of touched on there when you said that. And that's really what creates the connection is how we can bond and support each other in our journeys. Exactly that. And and even being able to laugh at these messages, you know, every woman, I mean, who could possibly measure up? But even the influencers or the people that seem to have everything suffer the same feelings of doubt. So it's just once we deconstruct it for ourselves, particularly at times when we're in the thick of it, maybe you've just been rejected uh, for a job or in a relationship, and it's really hard to, to grab back onto the bigger picture. But that's always the key, that when you're in a loop, in a negative loop that you know just repeats those mantras that you've heard inside your head for your whole life, I never do this, I'm not good enough at that, blah, blah, blah. And instead, pull back to a bigger perspective and say to yourself, well, is that really always true? Or what is the specific factor that's making me feel like this right now? And I think pulling back and seeing a bigger picture always helps us break those negative loops. Mm, thank you. And I wanted to pick up on your brilliant, you've got DIY human cards oh, yeah. um, and I've seen them on your website. They look fantastic. And I think listeners would really love to hear more about them, how they can um, use them and what the benefits are. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we had been doing the narrative method programs with businesses, universities, and mostly starting with um, underserved populations, veterans, unhoused people, youth. And what we saw was that this process, which really involves looking at something stimulating in real time, like a video or a picture or considering a quote, and then responding. And in doing that, I came to realize you don't need a license to use your humanity. We need to make this process easily available to everyone. So we created the TNM DIY human cards, and all of the cards pertain to one of our 12 core concepts. So you will see a card, and I'm just picking one up, for example. This is awe. This is the concept awareness, wonder, empathy, which, which we call awe. And the statement on this card says, putting ourselves aside with humility allows us to listen without judgment and connect to others more deeply. And then the prompt is, share about a time when setting yourself aside led to a deeper connection. So if you were leading your own group of family, friends, colleagues, or doing this work with one other partner, or using them as a writing prompt, then you would respond to this idea of, a time when you put yourself aside so that you could really hear someone's story from their perspective. 
And all of these prompts are thought provoking. There's nothing like, you know, what's your favorite color? Because you know what? We don't need to talk about the weather. We could open the window. <laughs> it's just time's a ticking. And, you know, I think people seem to fear sometimes that if they make themselves vulnerable and go deep with people that, um, that it's dangerous. And it, it certainly is not always safe to share your, your most vulnerable feelings. But I think what's scarier is the fact that small talk makes us nervous. Small talk is a really weird game and you don't always know the rules with the person that you're ping-ponging with. So if you can get past the small talk and just go to the depth of, this is who I am, this is how I feel in this moment, this is how I'm relating to you, that is actually quite natural. It's the trying to be a certain way that keeps us unknown and isolated from each other. So the cards are a way for people to just, in a very simple and easy way, create their own groups or their own pairs, or again, as I said, use them for uh, writing prompts. And you can get them on our website. Uh, they're great stocking stuffers, thenarrativemethod.org. Thank you. Yeah, I think I really love what you said and the fact that you have awe for um, and what it stands for, because that's one of the things we can share our story. And those card, that card that you just happened to pick up, really picked up yeah. on that, is the balance between sharing and listening and how important that is, because we want to share, but we also need to open ourselves up to be able to listen to others, to have that meaningful connection. Yeah, I, I, I really couldn't have said it better. And, you know, as a podcaster, you know what that is. I think. So many times when we're talking with someone, we are looking through our own lens. And of course, we need to do that in order to connect with ourselves and express ourselves. But we're not going to be able to hear someone else when we're either looking through our own lens or listening to rebut, (laughs) you know, rather than worrying about coming back to someone's ideas with something clever or, you know, topping it, to just be there. And, you know, we don't have to be so fast to just take in, take a beat, and to really appreciate what someone else is saying and experiencing. The greatest gift we can give ourselves is putting ourselves aside to take in someone else. Because when you are really there for someone, and we always see this in an emergency, you know, somebody's cut themselves and we, we need to completely focus or whatever the issue might be. During that time, you have no problems. You have no personal worries or concerns. And that experience of being liberated from our own head is something we should have the ability to create far more often because that takes us into the bigger world and to in, into someone's personal world. Yeah, thank you, Sherry. And I think that really brings us to that point about giving when you give how much it boosts your mental health and well-being for the reasons you've outlined. I then wanted to touch a little bit and I ask a lot of my guests this about mental health, ill health or mental, I think in this case, disconnection and culture. I know Mm -hmm. in other podcast episodes, you've talked about your Jewish heritage and your background. Um, And what do you think are the biggest challenges in accessing support where you don't fit the mold people expect you to? You have um, cultural nuances and needs that need a slightly different approach. I'd just love to know your thoughts about that. 
Well, thanks for asking that. You know, it's it's complicated because I think every group struggles with the projections of others, positive or negative. As a Jewish American, you know, how many times have I heard that there's no such thing as the Holocaust, that Jews uh, run show business or run this or run that. And the fact is um, Jewish people have been pursued for cent, you know, for forever. And, and but I, I do want to make the point that so have other cultures. I mean, I think once we stop trying to win the contest of who's been treated the worst and appreciate that not just in our cultural or religious groups, but as individuals, everyone knows what it is to be bullied. Everyone knows what it is to uh, suffer the projections of people who don't really care to take the time to understand us. And I think at this point in the history of the world, here we are, we're looking at climate change. The world has come together in ways with huge potential for real learning and being able to work together to improve living conditions for everyone. And the idea that we are still stuck on old stories of what everyone believes happened in the past because of other stories, it's just not enough. We need to come forward as individuals, not um, in any way to disregard the value of our backgrounds. And of course, we want to continue uh, pushing forward um, the wonderful cultural aspects that, that each of our cultures holds. But there's something bigger, and that is the depth and beauty and power and intention of individuals to overcome our differences. There's no group that's smarter, that's better, that's stronger. All of that stuff has long been disproved. Yet, unfortunately, there is so much lack of, of real education and fear of science and fear of being passed over that people often uh, refuse to listen because the cult of culture has shamed them into feeling ignorant. So whatever it is that keeps us uh, huddled together in our tribes is certainly understandable. But I believe we have to move beyond that to find our voices as individuals and our agency to come together as humanity. Well, that's so beautiful and profound. And I think the word agency for me really resonates. And like you said, sometimes people call it the oppression Olympics. And that's not to absolutely not to diminish what any group has been through. But you're right. It's to Again, it goes back to the story and the connection to acknowledge the pain and the hurt and saying, I hear you. I hear you. What are we going to do to create a more positive environment for everyone? Exactly. And, and I think when people are heard, they eventually get filled up. It might take a very long time. It might take generations. One of our 12 core concepts is, is called um, uh, flowers and tears. And that has to do with what it really means to apologize. And we don't talk about forgiveness because forgiveness is not automatic. And although we probably can accept the idea that forgiveness sets us free, the one who forgives, there are certain things we're not ready to forgive now or maybe ever. And that's, that's our choice. But when it comes to apology, I think the trick is to first of all realize 
It's not tied to forgiveness. It's not based on me telling you, I'm sorry you felt hurt, but let me tell you my perspective. It's only based on my making amends to you because you tell me you were hurt. It doesn't matter if it wasn't my intention. It doesn't matter if I don't see it that way. The point of an apology is not just for me to acknowledge that you were hurt, but to invite you to continue telling me ways in which you were hurt and for me to continue imagining so that if I stepped on what you were saying, maybe um, I will say, you know, I'm so sorry I interrupted, but I, I imagine it, it made it hard for you to continue thinking um, on, the, on the train of thought that you were on or whatever those issues might be. And what I have discovered time and again is that when we really feel heard, we eventually say, okay, well, it, it's okay because I can do this or that. And again, that doesn't mean it's going to happen quickly or ever. But the fact is, we want you to know why it hurt. It's not enough for you to just say, oh, sorry. For instance, if you step on my toe and I was wearing shoes and there's really no problem, it's fine if you just say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. No problem. But if you step on my toe and I break my foot, I really want you to know I had to go to the doctor. I had to go to the hospital. I had to have, you know, a, a, a brace on my foot and all of those details. And when you can really fully appreciate that and take ownership for the fact that your carelessness caused that, then I feel better. I really feel better. And that is achievable. So when it comes to um, being heard in terms of what our particular culture or our family of origin or myself as an individual have suffered, it is imperative to moving on to feel heard and appreciated for our experience. Sherry, I'm so pleased you talked about forgiveness because, incidentally, this has been something I've been grappling with and how difficult I find forgiveness. And I had a kind of light bulb moment in November uh, 2021 thinking, I'm not a very forgiving person, actually. <laughs> and I think um, I'm laughing. It's not actually funny, is it? But I think it's that thing about being heard. And, and another thing of you sharing that story is I remember when I was doing student support, on anti-racist student support, and a, a Taiwanese student came to talk to me about a porter in an Oxford college that had called her a derogatory racist word for the Chinese community and the wider community. And I was listening to her and actually I started crying because it was a horrible story. And I said to her, what would you like to do? You've got some choices. She said, I don't want to do anything. I just I'm so happy happy that you're listening to me and you believe uh, me uh, so exactly what you've just said exactly and also you know I would say to you um to your statement I'm not a very forgiving person <laughs> uh first of all I bet that um certain times certain times you don't feel that way but if if you really think that's true then for me the next step is to ask yourself why with compassion um, as opposed to scolding, because if we're not forgiving, there's probably an incredibly logical reason why. And maybe there were times when you forgave someone and they went right back and did it again. Or in forgiving someone, you were made to feel vulnerable and it wasn't satisfying. So one of the things I always stress with people, regardless of what it is that we're working on, 
be half as nice to yourself as you would to any stranger. We're so hard on ourselves. It's just amazing the way we will, you know, say things to ourselves and not even in words, in those in that sort of Morse code of internal signals that we send to ourselves that, you know, this means I suck and this means I look bad and this means I never do anything right. And whatever those kinds of urges are, uh, temper them again, with a bigger picture and curiosity as opposed to self-scolding. That's so helpful. Yes. And we talk about this a lot in the show, but I don't think any of us can hear it enough. (laughs) I I don't think all of my training and experience spares me any of these issues. Mm -hmm. It just helps me um, move through them more quickly. And I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And so what do you think about workplaces then? What can workplaces do to introduce a narrative method style approach into their organizations? Yes. Well, first of all, we love working with organizations because, first of all, everyone you come into contact with is a relationship, whether it's a person you pass on the street or someone you work with or someone in your personal life. This is what you're doing with your entire life at this moment. I don't know about you, but I don't have days, weeks, and years to throw away. So whatever we can do to have meaningful connections in in the work that we do um, not only makes the work more meaningful for us, but chances are it gives more integrity to what it is we're doing because there's cooperation behind it. I think one of the ways that we work with large companies is we'll do something called the 12-minute connection, which over a period of time allows every individual to have had a 12-minute one-on-one with everyone else. And just that, really in our work, the smallest things are tremendous. For the CEO to get to know the lowest person on the totem pole, outside of those hierarchies and see a person's mind and ideas and feelings is illuminating. And we remember brilliant ideas can come from everywhere when they're invited. And when they're not, then those of us who are not invited can really shrivel and discount our ideas. But in 2021, we need all good ideas in order to succeed in business or in the world. So I love working with companies, whether it's um, the C-suite or a particular department, or as I say, going through the entire company. There are so many programs that really make a difference quickly and profoundly that don't involve teaching people, say this, don't say this, you know, uh, you're canceled if you make a mistake. I think we have to embrace um, a tolerance of, Understanding the difference between utter malice, in which case, you know, of course, we're going to feel shut down and not understanding or trying or somebody not getting pronouns right. Um, I think we really just have to try and teach people, because if you've ever been on the other side and felt humiliated by by a social faux pas and someone just said, oh, don't worry about it and just showed you what the correct usage was you feel really appreciative. I mean, do we really need to be killed for an honest mistake? How can we all know all the details of how other people want to be um, talked about or treated or addressed? So I think it's 
I think we have to stop taking like the scary enormity out of this. It's just human connection all the way. And that's the thing, isn't it? If there's human connection, people can then have an adult to adult conversation about how things made them feel. There's lack of defensiveness. It's right. Okay. I really hear that. I understand. Thank you for explaining. It won't happen again. Really pleased you could talk to me. Um, and it sounds really simple, but sadly, it's really missing in many workplaces that I work with. So I know that what you do really helps people to get to that place and, and work through that process. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we're not taught these skills. I think the next generation's are being taught more and more. But largely in, in, in the Western world, people have been inundated with the idea that they should be polite. Now, polite is fine, but you're never going to know anybody if you're polite. And so there is a risk to showing who you really are. And if you know that who you really are pushes the buttons, another person, and you really want to communicate, then there are really easy ways to invite a person into a discussion rather than just exclaiming with heated issues, like something like choice, you know, well, this is the right way, or this is the wrong way. We've, we've done that for a really long time. Doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. So I think it's time to put ourselves aside to really listen to people. And when people are really listened to, they also have permission to consider another perspective. But when people are shamed, there's no way they're going to go outside of their tribal thinking and uh, join with you. So it's, it's really, as you say, it's not hard. It's just somewhat counterintuitive mm. to the ways we have taught, been taught to get along in a society that did not prepare us for a society where it is essential to be real and to have meaningful relationships because we no longer have these built-in small communities where everybody gets seen automatically. Mm. Now people can go for very long periods of time in, in isolation. And that is a recipe for disaster for the individual and the society. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this work that you do, it's, it's quite mentally draining on you. And so I wanted to ask, you know, how do you look after your own mental health and well-being? And what are the top three tips that you'd like to share with listeners? Well, thank you for asking that. But um, actually, it's not draining. What's draining for me is small talk, which draining for me are yeah. situations in which I feel like I have to play a role mm. um, or I can't be myself because then I have to work hard. That's why that's draining. I just get so much energy from having real conversations with people and watching people have aha moments or having an aha moment myself. But in terms of how to take care of ourselves when we are overwhelmed, we use lots of very, very simple tools to self-soothe. And all of them can be done anytime and any place. Something as simple as putting your hand, your dominant hand on your heart. When you connect with the beat of your heart, you are connecting from your dominant part to all the other parts inside of yourself and giving your unconscious the message, it's okay, I've got it. You may not know how you've got it or how it's going to work out, but your dominant part can remind the smaller parts that are fearful inside of you 
look, we've gotten through everything else. It's a journey. I'm here. So to be able to remind yourself, I'm here. I, I, I will figure it out. Um, and so self-soothing for sure. We also do this wonderful exercise I call Wonderland, which is literally the experience of creative dreaming in the privacy of your own mind. So if you think about putting yourself in a very physically comfortable position, closing your eyes and just letting your thoughts flow freely as though you were going to your favorite movie and just see what ideas come up or following a specific idea with a goal. But regardless of whether you're doing it just to relax or you're doing it because you want to work something through, to be able to give yourself that time to think in a way that is less structured usually produces ideas you would not have thought of in a more structured format. So it's very, it's enjoyable, but it also leads to creative solutions. Thank you. And, and also thank you for picking me up and saying, you know what, it's not, that's not what's emotionally draining. It's the small talk, which I think will resonate with so many people. Yeah. So I really appreciate your honesty. Um, and finally, if people want to know more about your work, I know you've mentioned it and I will, of course, include all the links in the show notes. Um, how should they get in contact with you? And, uh, you know, my, my list, the listeners are mainly from the UK. So people in the UK want to work with you. Um, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, if you go to the website, it's thenarrativemethod.org, you will see there are pages where you can find out about the programs we offer to companies. We work remotely and live. Um, we have had um, people come to our Zoom-ins, by the way, from uh, the UK and beyond, and um, we just have to sync up the time a little bit. But I'm always available to create custom programs for your groups. The Zoom-ins are pretty compatible across the globe. If one isn't, another will be. Thursday evenings in Los Angeles at 5 p.m., which is morning for you guys, we do a conversation group, which is really fun and based on uh, real-time experiences of videos or art or some other inspiring piece of work we, we look at, we'll then go into breakout rooms with prompts. And Sunday mornings at 8.30 in uh, California, which is early evening for you guys, we do a very quick, very satisfying one-hour write and the idea of this short writing format is not to learn the mechanics of writing because you can learn that anywhere, but it's learning how to open your creativity, to learn how to flow and turn on the faucet whenever you need it. And I am here to tell you, it is a simple tool that you hone. And when you want to be creative, you know where to go. Just like when you know when you know, you're hungry, you know to go to the refrigerator. Um, and it's really that easy. It's just counter to many of the things we've been taught um, about being quote unquote productive. So yes, go to the narrativemethod.org. You can go to the events page, sign up for our free Zoom-ins. You can um, sign up or contact us if you're a university or if you're an organization, a nonprofit, or if there's any way that we can connect you otherwise, 
that is what we're here to do. Thank you so much, Shari, for your wisdom, your time, your empathy. I've learned a lot and I know our listeners will. So just a huge joy to have you on the show and much love and power to you and all the work that you do. Thank you so much, Layla. I've really enjoyed connecting with you. Me too. And listeners, we'll see you on the next show. And don't forget this month, we're focusing on giving and sharing. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.